Morning, good morning. Um, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to start today. Grab that. We'll read it in a second. Thank you, Jesus. Luke chapter 19. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for your great goodness, for your love over us, for all the wonderful things that you're doing in this church, and for um, the beauty of your plans the beauty of your ways, God, um, that you have revealed to men. Father, I, I, uh, I'm just grateful for you. Uh, of course, I'm grateful, Lord, that you've made a way for us to go to heaven. But I'm so grateful, God, that in this life, um, that we can begin to understand the beauty of the mystery of who you are. Uh, all the things, God, that you've prepared for us, um, that we never thought of, that we never asked for, um, that we don't even recognize, um, that you've done for us. The millions of ways, God, that you save us, that you preserve us, that you bless us, that you prosper us, God, every single day of our lives, um, that you add joy to us, that you add abundance to us, that you add blessing to us, that you give us opportunities we could have never fathomed, uh, nor appreciated, nor, uh, nor asked for, because we, didn't, we just didn't even know, Lord, that we wanted things or we needed them. Or, and, and you've provided all these things to us and for us. And we pray, God, um, that you would make us a people who are able to humble ourselves as we walk into your presence um, and not, uh, uh, not try to tell you how to run the world, not try to tell you how to run our lives, not try to cherry pick the things that we like and the things that we don't, but um, to just humbly accept that you are both wiser and kinder and more loving and, and uh, more profoundly wonderful uh, than we could have possibly imagined. Um, and humble ourselves, God, as we are in your presence and ask, God, that you would make yourself known to us and that you would allow us um, the joy of walking in your presence today. Shape us, God, mold our hearts in this time. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves and to yield, God, any stubbornness, any opinions, any judgments that we have that are contrary to your truth. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for loving us. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh-oh. <clears throat> Still a struggle bus. Oh, sorry, that's loud. All right. Thank you. Okay. <coughs> Hopefully that's enough. Sorry. Um Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> I didn't turn to it myself. That's not good. Oh, thank, oh, I have some water. Thank you, honey. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay in your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said um, to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. I have defrauded anyone of anything. I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Um, there's something about this story that I love very much. Um, because Jesus does not just save Zacchaeus in the sense of saving him from hell and allowing him to go to heaven. Of course, he does save him in that sense, but he doesn't just save him in that sense. He also saves him uh, from all the guilt um, uh, and all the consequences uh, of the wrongs that he's done in his life, the ways that he's taken advantage of others. And it, it, that sense of being saved by Jesus is um, really profound and something that I think, uh, well, uh, uh, just an observation. Um, almost every single person that I've ever met, believer, I'm not talking about unbelievers, every, almost every single person, every believer that I've ever met and talked to, including all, most of us here, suffer under the weight of condemnation. Even though, theologically, in our minds, we all know that we've been saved uh, 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 by grace, through faith, and by the power of the blood of Jesus. Do, does that, do, do you understand? Um, and Jesus is, is uh, I, I don't think his desire is just to save us from hell. I think he also wants to save us from uh, things like guilt uh, and condemnation and, and the strongholds that those things impose in our lives. Do, does that make any sense? And the, it, this is the beauty of the story of Zacchaeus. Um, you cannot be free of condemnation until you understand and embrace the justice of God. I know that I'm about to sound like a, like a broken record because you're like, oh, Danny, didn't you just preach about this? Yeah, I did. But I had voice problems, and so I wasn't able to. <laughs> and I still today, and so if it doesn't go well, I'll blame that again, and we'll try again uh, next week. The knowledge of the justice of the Lord is what frees us from guilt and condemnation. And, uh, and it, it's very much my desire, and I, I think it's very much God's desire to see his people be free of these things because he actually made a way for it. Let me ask you a question. I was recently, um, well, I am sick, but I was um, a few, uh, maybe a week and a half ago, I was, so, I was coughing up so bad one night that I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to die. And it wasn't, like, I didn't actually think I was going to die. It was just like, this is this coughing is so bad. And I think I'm the cough of my lungs. I don't know if you've had coughing that bad, but, but I, I was having that. And then <clears throat> I thought to myself, if I were to die in the near future, what are the things that I want to do before uh, I died? I don't know if you guys ever think like that. Maybe it's a little bit morbid. Maybe it's a little bit... Uh, discouraging. For me, um, I think the knowledge that all things end allows you and helps you to appreciate um, them as you have them. Do you know the knowledge that, uh, you know, a meal will end, the knowledge that friendships will end, the knowledge that this life will end uh, very quickly, actually, um, helps you to appreciate every day. And uh, if there's anything that um, you want to do before you die, you really shouldn't save it for your deathbed. You should, you should, you know, you should, you should get on it. And, um, I don't know if you've ever had um, times like that. Maybe next time you're sick, uh, very sick, you can think about it. I'm not wishing sickness on you. I'm just saying that if you happen to be, uh, you might as well, other than enjoying the presence of the Lord. <laughs> um, and what is it that um, you're not going to wish? Oh, I, I don't wish that I'd made more money. I, I, I don't wish um, that you know, my, my career had gone better. Uh, I, I don't wish that I'd gone on more vacations or that I lived in better houses or drove faster cars. Do you, do you, do you understand? Like, no, I don't wish for those things. Um, 
if you think that you do, I, I, I don't know. I, that's a, a different problem. But I, I wish for those things. What, what do you actually want? If you knew that you, and some of you have known maybe parents or friends or something like that with, um, who are terminally ill, what are the things that men actually need to do before they die? Um, one is, um, obviously, you want to spend time with your loved ones. One is, you want to take care of your family. Uh, you know, uh, make, make sure they're financially provided for uh, in, in some way. There, there's, there's things like that. But then there's one that, um, that I think is actually really important that we don't think about very often. I think if you really knew you were about to go see Jesus, you would want to resolve every wrong that you've committed against someone else that has never been resolved. I, I think that you'd want to, I, I think that if you owed someone money, you'd want to pay it back. I think that if you abandoned someone, you'd want to, like, do, do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think, I would hope that when you pass out of this world and go stand before the Lord, you'd want to leave this world uh, without anyone having any offense against you for any reason. And the way to do that, obviously, you should repent and apologize. But I think that you'd want to make things right to the extent that you could make it right before them. Do, do you know? Um, that, that desire is something that is actually really powerful and something that God has, has put in our hearts. The knowledge of his justice um, is, of course, what condemns us in our hearts when we sin, but it's also the thing that allows us to be free um, on the other side. As Christians, um, I, I think very often, uh, especially, I was talking about myself, I grew up in Sunday school, and I had the best Sunday school teachers in the world. They were incredible. They were really incredible people, but um, they taught about uh, the salvation of the Lord and the mercy of God, um, they made it sound like if I just prayed um, for Jesus to forgive me, that everything was going to be okay. And what I've learned in walking through life is that after praying for Jesus to forgive me, I, I have the faith that I'm right before God, but it doesn't actually resolve everything that is going on in my heart. Do, do you understand? And um, and the, the interesting thing is that God actually, in the Bible, provides a way for us to deal with that it's just that the church doesn't teach it very often because um, uh, we don't think people can handle multiple ideas at the same time. And if you tell people that, um, uh, you know, that the blood of Jesus doesn't deal with everything, then you know, we're scared that people will go, you know, go astray into, into heresy. But, but I, I, I think that you all are mature enough. Do you, do you see how I'm, I'm, I'm now um, uh, patting you up? Um, so I think you are all mature enough, it's like stuffing the turkey right before you roast it. Uh, I think you are all mature enough to be able to handle this. The blood of Jesus does, of course it justifies us before the Lord, but, but there's actually, God has provided a way for us to also rid ourselves of guilt and regret and condemnation. And that's, that's really powerful. Um, <clears throat> people don't want, actually, um, we talked about this last time, but the foundation of all relationship, the foundation of of communities and cultures is not mercy. It cannot be mercy. It must be justice uh, because nobody feels safe in a culture that has mercy without justice. Uh, imagine that um, there's a highway um, uh, uh, and the, the speed limit is 60 miles an hour and you're driving down um, the, the highway at uh, 61 miles an hour and the cop pulls you over and gives you a big fat fine that you didn't like and you're like, I was only one, one mile an hour over. Like, you know, what? The? Um, you may not feel great about it, but you pay your fine and you will get back on the highway again. Uh, do, do you know? Like, you may be hurt that like, oh, I had to pay a fine. 
Um, but it doesn't stop you from getting back on that highway again. But if you're driving along at 60 and a car speeds by you at 120 and, and at a speed where if they were to run into somebody, they would kill all the occupants in the car. And the police is just sitting there and the police doesn't really care. Uh, and if you have your kids in the back seat, you're not getting back on that highway. Does that make sense? Does that not make sense? If you go to a church with a childcare program and it's revealed that the head of uh, the, the nursery uh, is, is a child abuser and the church says, oh, you know, the blood of Jesus covers him and, and we forgive him. You're not, you're not leaving your kids in that childcare program again. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. Do, do, do you know? It, it, the, 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 we, we don't understand this. Like, like mercy without justice uh, is, is not a foundation for you to build anything on. In fact, it is a gross mischaracterization of mercy um, for people to believe that you, it's possible to have mercy without justice. If you are a shopkeeper, you own a restaurant, uh, actually this is happening today in, in San Francisco, the police and the uh, state attorneys and the district attorneys will not enforce crimes. And so if you're a Walgreens and somebody comes into your store and, and at gunpoint they rob, uh, they, they rob the store, uh, you expect justice to be done. You expect, uh, you have security footage, you, everything. Like it's not disputable that the crime happened. You expect to be able to go to the police and have that man arrested, yes? And um, if, if the man is arrested, then, uh, then even if you've suffered some loss um, that you can't be made up, you're like, okay, no, no, that, that's, that's fine. Like we can, we can keep going. But what if you go to the police with, with all the proof in the world and the police say, uh, we're not enforcing that crime. We're, we're, we're not enforcing that law. Um, what you do is what every reasonable company is doing now in San Francisco, which is you move out of the city. You can't do business in that city anymore. You cannot do business or have life in a place where there is no justice. Do you, do you know? If you've been robbed and you go to the court and the judge says, we're going to have mercy on this guy today. Um, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make it right. Like, like, it, you, like it, there's, there's no resolution here. Like you are a victim of something. Do, did you know? And that's not mercy, actually. Mercy is not where you look at someone's crime, someone's crime and you say, I'm not just going to let them go. Mercy is where you look at someone's crime and you say, I'm going to pay the price for that so this person can be restored. There are many people that will demand uh, mercy. Let me actually, uh, most of the people who demand mercy like a mob are unwilling to pay the price for that person's restoration. If you really believe in mercy, mercy is not where we overlook people's crimes and their sins. Mercy is where we love someone so much that we are willing to pay the price for them so they have a chance at rehabilitation and restoration. And, and your love for mercy is, is it, your embrace of mercy is proportionate to your willingness to pay the price. God did not forgive sin like, you know, I, I don't know if he can actually, I'm not, I'm not, I, that, I think that would be unjust. But God did not just look at the sin of mankind and be like, eh, who cares? That would not be mercy. God looked at the, 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 the sin of men and paid the price for us. That is his mercy. Do you know? And we want to show mercy to others. What we do is not say, well, everybody should forgive them. What we do is we go out and pay the price for what it is they've done. So that, they, so that everybody else, everybody else has now received justice. We carry the weight of the burden of the price, Right? And, 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 and then walk them through the process of, of restoration. Um, if you read, um, I know that Leviticus is not anybody's favorite book. I understand. Um, it's not anybody's favorite book. 
But if you look at the first, I think, seven or so chapters of Leviticus, there are five types of offerings uh, in Leviticus that, are, uh, that, that God talks about. And um, uh, when I was a young believer in a, in a, uh, uh, and I read the various types of offerings, I was like, well, this is lots of laws. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like offering for this, offering for that. And in uh, looking on this now, I realize that, the, that what God is doing is, is a very merciful thing. Uh, what God is doing by prescribing different offerings that you're able to bring to him is he is allowing you to wash away your guilt for different things that you've done by bringing an offering before the Lord. Um, there are other laws in Leviticus and other places that, that dictate the type of restitu- um, restitution um, that you should make to people for the sins that you committed. But God actually provides a way through offerings. Think about this. Because this is pretty like blow your mind if you, you know, think about this for a long time. It, 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 you might explode. Um, God provides a way for you to get right with him by bringing certain offerings before him in the right way. That's profound. There's five types of offerings. The burnt offering uh, is, is, uh, is an offering um, that makes atonement for sin. Um, the grain offering uh, is, is, is a voluntary expression of your devotion to God. The grain offering is, I'm so grateful for you, God. I'm bringing this offering to you. Do you see how they're different? Burnt offering is like when, you, when, when, when you've sinned and you want to be clean, you bring the burnt offering to God. And in bringing the burnt offering, there's something that happens in your heart where, where justice has been done uh, because you've offered something. And as a result, that your heart can be clean, knowing that you've done what God asked you to do to get right with him. Do you know? And, uh, and the grain offerings where you're so thankful to God, you have to offer him something to express your thanksgiving. Um, there's a peace offering. Uh, the peace offering is an offering of, uh, that you bring uh, when you desire relationship and fellowship with God. Uh, um, it, it's like when someone invites you over to their house for dinner, you bring uh, a dessert or a drink or, um, or a gift you know, for the host. And it's not that the person needs another candle or another mug. Uh, do, do you know? It's not that they need um, a pound cake from you. They don't. It's the, 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 the offering uh, is, is, a, uh, is an expression of just as you desire to have a relationship with me, I also desire to have a relationship with you. And it, like, isn't that amazing that God actually tells you how you can do this with him? Yeah. Is, this, like, is that amazing? Is that not amazing? Is it like, that's not amazing. I want to keep my stuff. It's amazing to me that, that God said, hey, uh, if you want to have a relationship with me, I've invited you into a relationship with me. I'm going to tell you how you can pursue it. And I'm going to accept uh, your outreach of fellowship and peace with me. That's awesome. That's awesome, right? And people are like, oh, we're, like, we're not bound by these laws. You're not bound by these laws. These are all those like, yay, God. Okay, there's a, a, a sin offering. Uh, the sin offering is, it doesn't deal with atonement, which is what the burnt offering Deals with. This sin offering, um, it, it, it deals with cleaning. It's, it's that when you feel that you're impure because of sins that you've committed, you can offer the sin offering, and that washes away your impurity, which is different from the issue of atonement. And then lastly, this is what I really love, the guilt offering. The guilt offering is the offering that you bring when you've sinned but not known that you have sinned. You see, when you've sinned, but you didn't know, but you did it unintentionally, which is the, the word that most English translations use now. When you sin, but you do, when you do it unintentionally, you still have the guilt from that sin, no? And so there's a type of offering that God has prescribed 
where you were able to rid yourself of the guilt of unintentional sins. I, I don't know if that sounds like, I don't have to do that. To me, it is incredibly freeing that God in advance knew the type of scenarios that we would get ourselves into and prescribed a way out of the guilt and the condemnation of those things. Um, the lack of understanding of justice leads people into condemnation and, and, and mental illness and all sorts of other things. Um, justice is very important. Uh, the, the, the primary idea of justice under the Jewish law is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, an arm for an arm. That, you know, uh, that whatever you've taken, you have to give back. Um, and it, that's actually very important to understand. In Christianity, we know that like, that's not the ultimate ideal and 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 of course it's not you know the 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 last word on the topic but there are a lot of christians that don't believe that and um and i want to tell you something that um uh you not believing in an eye for an eye is actually really detrimental to you for this reason when you sin in life there are consequences to that but here's the thing um the devil can use your condemnation of the mistakes that you have made um, uh, to give you great hopelessness about difficult things in your life and, and give you um, a lack of a firm foundation to stand on as you're praying for God's justice. Let me explain. Um, let's say that, um, that there's a, a dad who has an anger problem and, and he has a, a, a young child and the child um, screams out and has a terrible attitude and so the father abuses the child, okay? Um, now, the child... If the child did not understand justice, the child could look at his own situation and say, I was abused, but I deserved it because I, 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 I angered my father. I, 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 you know, I caused my father to be angry with me. Do you know? Um, it, but, but the abuse is unjust. Now, when a child misbehaves, there is just uh, 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 discipline. For that, for that misbehavior, but it does not justify physical abuse on the part of parents. You, but if the child doesn't understand eye for eye, um, uh, tooth for tooth type justice, the child may actually be condemned into thinking that all the things that they've experienced in life they deserved because they are a sinner. And, and this is extremely detrimental to us because it traps us in a cycle where we are unable to understand the will and the goodness of God for our lives. Just because we have sinned does not mean that everything that has happened to you, you deserve. What has happened is that the devil is actually, he uses the guilt of your sin and your misunderstanding of, of how a just God deals with sin uh, in, in order um, uh, to take advantage of you, in order to, um, uh, to, to crash your brain and your heart and allow yourself to be stuck in all sorts of things that you're not supposed to be stuck in. Um, if you get stopped um, by a police officer uh, for, uh, for a speeding violation or something like that, and the, and the police officer um, sexually abuses you, as happens in many countries, you were still wrong. Did you, uh, wronged, you're a victim, even though you were speeding. Like, does that sort of make sense? And for Christians, we often don't understand this. And so it's like, oh, we suffer. Oh, oh that's just the consequence of my sin. Um, <laughs> the reason that all 613 Jewish laws are still preserved for us in our Bible is so that we would understand what, what God's standard of justice is. So when that standard of justice is violated, we can go to the judge and we can plead, cry out for justice to be done to us. Do you know? Just because you've sinned doesn't mean that it's right for someone else to, uh, to slander you. 
you know, just because you're a child and you're immature, it doesn't make it right for your parents to abuse you. Uh, you know, just because you're disagreeing with your spouse doesn't mean, like, does it, like, like there's, we need to understand what, what justice is so that we know uh, how to stand rightly before the Lord. Like, like you know, when Eliza yells, which, uh, uh, or, or Micaiah, whatever, of course we have to discipline her. And God, in the same way, allows justice to be done in our lives. Of course there's discipline. But we don't break her arm. Do you know? And sometimes it's like, oh, you know, um, I didn't do my homework, and so uh, God got me into that car accident. No, he didn't. <laughs> you know, like, it's like that, that, that's not justice. That's not justice. And that's not the way that God behaves towards us. It's child abuse. It is child abuse to impose a, 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 um, a, a harsher punishment on the child um, uh, than, what, uh, uh, than what they've actually done. Do, do, do you know? Like, you, um, as a parent, you have, you have two options in dealing with your children when they sin. Um, you, can, you, can, you can discipline them um, equal um, uh, to, to what they have done, or you can discipline them less. Um, than what they have done, because you're showing mercy. You do not get to discipline them more than what they've done. Does that make any sense? You always discipline your child uh, the least amount possible in order to help them to see their guilt and to, and to turn their ways. You do not use it as a, as a platform uh, for, for avenging or, or, or manifesting your anger upon your child. And there are many believers that think that God is like an abusive parent. And the reason you think that is, is it's the, the devil is taking advantage of our lack of understanding of the way that just people behave because we're all mercy, mercy, mercy as a church. And so we don't experience um, discipline. We don't experience um, consequences. And that actually ultimately harms you. That harms you when you begin to realize that God is a just God, but you don't know what justice is. So you don't know that you went five over the speed limit and the fine is $25. You went 10 over the speed limit, the fine is $75. Because you don't understand that. Anything bad that comes your way, you're just like, oh, it must have been my sin, this, must have been my sin, that. And that actually traps you in a place that you're not supposed to be. The reason the law, it's important to know the laws is because it's important for you to know what is just. When you have stolen something from someone under the law, when you stole something from someone under the law, like let's say I steal $100 from Ariel. Oh, Ariel. Thank you for the cough drops. I made restitution. Actually, it was a gift. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. But keep the cough drops. These are really good. Try them. They're artificial. They're not pure natural honey like the ones that you have. Okay, anyways. Um, when, you, when you stole $100 from someone under the law, the, the, read it. In Leviticus chapter, I think, 5. I'm not quite sure. Um, what you're supposed to do is, let's say I steal $100 from Ariel. I give her $120 back. And then I'm right with Ariel. And then I go before God and I give God um, a burnt offering. And then I'm right with God. And the fact that that mechanism exists means that, that I can understand what is just. And so when the local corrupt police officer comes and says, hey, I need $300, you know that's not the justice of God. Because you know what is just. Because you know what the law is. Does that make any sense? This is very important. It's important because all sins that we commit, there's some element of justice to them. Yes, God shows us mercy all the time. All the time, he saves us from the consequence of our sins. Sometimes he doesn't uh, because uh, there's a learning experience for us. Sometimes he doesn't because uh, it, it just helps us more uh, to actually face what it is we've done. So that happens. But when it happens, it is important. You do not allow the accuser, the destroyer, to take advantage of your lack of the knowledge of what is just before, before the judge of all the earth, okay? Does that make any sense? 
Um, many Christians, we, we mock the justice of God because we think that God only wants mercy. But there is actually um, a verse um, in, uh, in, in Proverbs uh, chapter 14 that talks about um, that, that type of attitude. And um, I, uh, Proverbs 14 verse 9 says this. Think about this. Fools mock at the guilt offering, but the upright enjoy acceptance. A fool mocks that there's actually something that he needs to do in order to get rid of his guilt. But the upright, the righteous man, is so grateful to be accepted that he's willing to do whatever it takes to get right. It's not good Christian doctrine to say, I don't have to do anything. Do you forgive me? That's, that's it is the fruit of foolishness. And the reason that you, you believe that is because you don't actually care enough about being right to be willing to do something about it. The upright, Solomon says, the upright, the person who is right in his orientation towards God enjoys being accepted enough. Do you enjoy being accepted? Do you know? He enjoys being accepted enough to be willing to do what is necessary in, in order to, to make it right so that I can be accepted again. I don't say, you have something against me? Forget you. I don't have to see you again. You know, let's just, let's, I'm leaving this city. That's a foolish way to think. The, the upright person says, no, I want to be accepted. I will do what is right. So there's no offense between you and me. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus very famously talks about what he expects our attitude to be towards offense. And he says, um, it, you're, imagine that you're at the temple and you're bringing your offering. And, and in that, place of, of coming for God and offering for God, the Lord convicts you that, that actually your brother has something against you. What does he say to do? He says, take your offering, just park it on the temple steps. Somebody might steal it, but that's okay. You can get another goat. Actually, he doesn't say that. That's my parenthetical. And he says, leave your offering there. And is that what he says? He says, leave your offering there. Go find your brother. Hunt him down. Make it right. And then come back and offer your offering. It's not too late. God will wait. God will wait for you to get clean in your heart. That's not because God is less important than you. God is very important. It's because how much he values your freedom and my freedom. That when we worship him, we worship him without guilt in our heart. We worship him without the condemnation of, of justice that he's built. In, that we are able to worship him freely in our heart because we're truly free. We're truly free. There's... Very few people that would tell you, encourage you to go do what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus, in wanting to be accepted by God, said, Lord, I, like every other tax collector out here, is corrupt. I have stolen money from all sorts of people. Part of my riches is by fraud. And he said, Lord, I'm going to go back. And every single person that I have ever wronged, I'm going to make it right. Every single person I've ever wronged, I'm going to make it right. Over the years, sometimes when I uh, pray and go before God, I actually ask God, uh, because I sometimes am not aware, uh, I'll actually ask, I'll ask God, um, God, I'm blind. <laughs> and my memory, faulty. Um, if there's anyone that I've wronged in my life that I've not made right, would you bring it to my memory? so that I could do something to go make it right. Um, and sometimes it's actually not possible. Um, when I was 
uh, I think six years old. I, in, we were living in California and I hung out with a couple characters that were a little shady, six-year-old shady, you know. <laughs> and we would go into this local dry cleaning store and they had a, 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 a bowl of candy um, for their customers. Um, but, and, but we would go in and just take the candy for ourselves while the store owner was busy uh, dealing with his customers. And he, was, he couldn't yell at us because he, was, he, he didn't want to be yelling at, at, at some neighborhood kids in front of his paying customers. But we would just take advantage of him. You know, every time we go down that street, we'd help ourselves to some lollipops and, and some for later. And it sounds like a joke, but, but the, the, the guilt of it stays with you, actually, until you can make it right. And, and I was convicted of this once, uh, like in my 20s. I don't remember exactly what year it was. Um, I, I, I was convicted. That I'd completely forgotten that I used to do that. Um, I think I was in second grade, you know, or, 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 or first grade. And, and one day I was praying for the Lord, and the Lord brought to my mind how I used to steal lollipops from this little business owner, this little dry cleaning um, shop. And I was like, God, how could I make that right? And I mean, it's been 25 years. I don't know where this store is. I, I don't know the name of that store. I, I, I don't know if he's still in business. And to this day, I, I still, I remember stealing those lollipops. And do you know, I would do anything that I could do. Like if, if the solution was, okay, you stole you know, 10 lollipops, send them 10,000. How many of you know? <laughs> you know, I'd be placing an order on Costco.com. Like right this second, that, that, that's an easy price to pay. Do you know, to get free of that? That's an easy price to pay. But because I was so young, I don't remember. I don't know, remember who he is or where. I don't even know if he's still alive. He was not a young man at the time. I don't even know. There's no way to pay that price. Um, there's no way to pay that. And, and so, and then of course, so then now you're leaning on the blood of Jesus and now you're just, and now, so God knows your repentance. Of course you can be free. You don't need to be condemned. But, but wherever there is an opportunity in life for you to make it right, would you not want to? Would you not want to make it right in exchange for your heart knowing that God like that God believes that you did what you need to do in order to obtain peace. Wherever you have paid a price, the, the, the just price, you can consider that case closed. And if the devil comes to you and says, this bad thing that happened to you is because of that thing, you should tell the devil that the, the price was already paid. Of course, I am talking about the blood of Jesus in the, in the, in, the, in the cosmic spiritual sense, but I'm also talking about you. When you have a speeding ticket or a parking ticket and $75 and you go to the New York City website and you pay off the $70, that case is closed. The, 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 the government does not get to come to, back to you and say, no, you have to pay us again. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work, that's called corruption. God is not corrupt, it doesn't work that way. And so when you deal with offenses and, and mistakes of this sort, um, one by one, in your life, what happens is that you close the cases that are open against you. And, and then in the future, when, thi when things come your way, you can better separate what is spiritual attack um, from what is the consequences of sin. And the reason you can is because the sin has been closed. There's no open cases. You've made it right with God. You've made it right with man. There's no open cases. And so when things come your way, it's easier for you to be able to know this is spiritual attack. This is not right. I'm going to oppose this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not believing that this is God because God is just and, and justice has already been done in that case. Do you know? If you can do this 
for, for everything that, is, that comes to your mind, everything that the Lord convicts you of, if you'll sit before him, allow him to do this, is you'll get to the point where you'll be free, actually, of condemnation. And, and you have great confidence that when things don't go right, that when there are not blessings in your life, that when there's hindrance and opposition and things that, that come against you as you're walking out the will of God for your life, you can be totally confident that it's not God, it's the other team. And the, and the reason that really helps is then you can, you know, put your spiritual armor on, you know, and, and, and lop off some demon heads. Uh, it, one of the greatest that, things that compromise many Christians as they're trying to do the will of God is that opposition comes and you're confused whether God sent the storm or the devil sent the storm. You can't rebuke a storm that God sent, but you should rebuke it wholeheartedly, you know, if it's the other team. If it's the other team. Um, it is a great joy to be able to pay somebody $120 and know that we're right now. I, I, do, 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 I, I don't know if you agree. I feel like I'm talking to myself. That's okay. It is a great joy to be able to say that there actually is a standard of justice and God is a just God. And the reason that there is justice, the reason he has meticulously laid it out for us is not because he wants us to live like there's eggshells all around and we're gonna crack, crack, like it, it's not. It's actually because when there's genuine guilt upon us, he shows us 613 doors to get out of that condemnation and that guilt. That's incredible. And, and as believers, it is very helpful for us to embrace it, not to push it off. I wanna read, um, uh, if I can, just another story uh, before we end here in 2 Samuel chapter 24. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, the story that many of you are familiar with, David has sinned before God. Yeah? And um, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against him, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, commander of the army who was with him, <coughs> Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of the Lord, um, of my Lord the king, still see it. But why does the Lord, um, my Lord the king, delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan, they began to, or from the city, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so they're taking the number. And Joab gave, verse 9, the sum of the numbering of the people of the king in Israel. There were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. 10. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. But now, Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, which I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet God, David's seer, and said, go and say to David, thus says the Lord, three things I offer you, choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So God came to David and told him, and he said to him, shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of pestilence in your land? Now concern decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And then David said to God, I am great distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hands of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people of Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aroniah the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel was striking people and said, Behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. And God came that day to David and said to him, Go up, rise, and um, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aroniah the Jebusite. 
And so David went up to um, at God's word as the Lord commanded him. And when Araniah looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Araniah went out and paid homage to the king with a face to the ground and said to Araniah, Why is um, my lord the king come to his servant? And he said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plagues may be averted from the people. Then Araniah said to David, Let my lord the king take up and offer what seems good to him. Here the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Araniah gives to the king. And Araniah said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Araniah, No, but I'll buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. And so David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Okay, this is a very important and, and wonderful story because guess what? People do sin. And when people sin, there are consequences. There is no um, verse in the law that says that if you're a king, you're not allowed to take censuses. Censuses. No, there's, no, there's no verse that says that, as far as I'm aware. And, and so when David sinned, it's also very clear in the story that when David sinned, he sinned unintentionally. He did not sin intentionally. He did not go into it. It was not a premeditated sin. But nevertheless, it was not the will of God for him to do this, and God expected David to know that, and, and David did, and David insisted, and, and so David sinned. <clears throat> and when David sinned, God did not just say, ah, it doesn't matter that you sinned, mercy. It, it was not God's response. Was that God's response? It was not God's response. And so God is a just God, right? And so God said, here are three options that would bring justice for the sin that you've committed. Choose one. And David chose to fall into the mercy of God, which is a wise choice. It is always better to have somebody who loves you discipline you than to have someone who does not love you discipline you. Do, do, do you know? And, and so David chose, he said, you know, God is merciful. My enemies are not. You know, I'd much rather have even a harsher um, judgment from someone who loves me um, than a, a, a more diluted judgment from someone who's not. She chooses God. God strikes down Israel, 70,000 men, which is a lot of men. But it's not the full punishment, actually, that could have been born because God stops the angel as the angel was going. I mean, the three days of justice are not actually fulfilled. And God gives David instruction on how to get out of this. God says through Gat, David, hey, um, justice is being done, but I have mercy for you. Go and raise an altar, offer an offering so you can escape from the guilt of what you've done. It is a foolish man that says, I don't need to do anything to escape. God is just merciful. It is a wise man who, knowing that God is merciful, nevertheless is willing to do whatever it takes to get right before God. The very fact that God allows you, after you've sinned, to get back to a place of being right is his mercy. And so David goes, right, to Aaroniah. And this is where David's uh, intuition as a man of God really kicks in. There are these moments in David's life where you understand why the Bible says that he's a man after God's heart because nobody tells him he has to do it, but he innately understands that the offering is worthless if he doesn't pay anything to offer it. He, nobody taught him that, right? He just knew. And so he goes to Araniah and he says, the, I, I'm raising an altar here. And I insist that I buy it for, at the market price. And I said, no, 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 you're the king. I would love king to offer you something because that favor and, you know, all that um, and, and David says, absolutely not. I will absolutely not offer to God. I'm not going to pretend that I gave God something when I didn't give him anything at all because it was given to me freely. Do you know? 
And so the Bible says that he did what? He offered a sin offering and he offered a guilt offering. Do you remember? The sin offering is, is to cover our sins. The guilt offering is to cover the fact that we have guilt even when we have sinned unintentionally, which is what David did, which is what David did. And in offering those things, the, uh, uh, the Lord received the offering. The, the guilt of David was taken away and the destruction of the three days would never fully played out. What you learn from this story is that God's mercy is that he doesn't discipline us, he doesn't punish us to the full extent of what it is we deserve. He offers us a way out, but more important than that, he offers us a way to get back right with him. And if we're upright in heart, we would desire that. I also desire that nobody in this life would have a claim against me. I, I, I want to be the sort of person that at the end of my life, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this, I don't think anybody can, would be able to stand up in front of everybody that I've ever known in this life and say, do you have anything against me? And, I, and hoping that the answer is no. Samuel, we remember, did this. At the end of his life, stood up before Israel and said, who have I defrauded? And they said, no one. What have I stolen from you? No one. How have I taken advantage of you? No. Like the, the ability to actually do that. It's, see, that's not possible in the sense that like you've literally wronged no one. I mean, we're just not that righteous. But what is possible is that when we've wronged someone, that we then make it right. And so we can get back to the place where I've wronged no one. Because all my speeding tickets are closed. Do you know? Because all the destruction that I've wrought, I've paid back and, and more. Because all the ways that I've harmed you, I've, I've now blessed you, but I've multiplied it four times so that, so that you would be right. And here's the interesting thing. Not, not interesting, this is really important. When Zacchaeus said, the law, you remember, requires 1.2 times restitution, right? Zacchaeus goes beyond that. Zacchaeus says, Lord, anybody I've ever defrauded in my life, four times, I'm paying them back. There, there are um, uh, like oxen and things like that you're supposed to pay back more than 1.2 times, but money, I think, was 1.2. And, and, and so he, what he's doing is actually he's going beyond the letter of the law in his desire to make restitution. And G, you know Jesus does not try to stop him. Do you know Jesus doesn't say, you don't understand the power of my blood? <laughs> like, you don't understand the power of the cross, Zacchaeus. You, you're, like, you know, be a good Christian. He doesn't say that. It, 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 he says, today salvation has come into this house. Like, he approves the heart of Zacchaeus to make right things that he wronged. I want to encourage you not to wait until you're, you know, 98 years old. There's no reason to wait until you're about to die to make things right. There's no reason. There's also no reason to offer fake apologies when you're not really repentful. I would encourage you to enjoy the freedom of acceptance now. I don't know uh, what else happened in everybody's life. I don't know. And I, whatever you've done, I've done about 10 times worse. Maybe 100, depends on, if you're, if you're Lily, it's 100. I've done 100 times worse. Most of the rest of you, you know, somewhere between, you know, 10 and 20. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. No, I'm serious. I, you've cheated on tests. I've cheated on tests. You know, you've like, like, I just, okay. Um, I would really encourage you, because sometimes we're quite blind to these things. I really encourage you to, just when you're with God, you know, Sit before him and just ask him very simple things like, God, is there anyone that I've wronged in this life where the ticket is still open? I may not even know about it. 
I may have hurt someone by abandoning them, but I didn't think I was abandoning them. You know, um, I may have uh, taken something from someone that they didn't mean to give me, and then therefore stealing from them. But I didn't know I was stealing it. Like, like uh, it's possible to sin unintentionally and still have guilt against you for for that. Do you know? That's why we need the the conviction of the Holy Spirit to help us with these things. But I, I would encourage you actually to get before God and just say, Lord. I don't want to wait until I'm on my deathbed to enjoy the freedom of, of having nobody offended at me. I want to enjoy that now. I want to walk out now, right now, today, that, that there'd be no one on this earth that would see me coming and then begin to run the opposite way because they don't want to see me. Do you know, I, I, I don't want that. I want to enjoy acceptance. And if the price is an apology, if the price is time, if the price is money, if the price is... Uh, are restoring to them whatever they lost. If the price is um, my own shame in, in acknowledging what I've done, whatever it is, like surely, surely, you know, it, it's worth it in order for the guilt to be cleared, you know, from, from my heart. And that is the type of freedom that, that we as believers get to enjoy. We get to enjoy both the freedom of being right with others and the freedom of being right with God. And if we're not enjoying that, then, um, then we're just leaving things on the table that God has offered to us. Um, I really think, I'm not gonna force you to do this, obviously, can't force you anyway. I, I, I am not gonna say that you know this is a core Christian doctrine, you must do this, you must. I don't think that, uh, but, but it is a, it's an option. It is a, an opportunity for us. And that's my, that's my greatest desire. I, I desire to see the day where, as a church, um, we would be a church of no condemnation and no guilt. That, that really is very much my heart. I desire to be a church where people come and they're not, they're not wrapped up in the things that they've done. Or, or the things that nobody knows about, or the secrets that they can't talk about. I, I desire to be, I, really, to be a church where you can come and you just be free. And, and, and you, you just be free. Uh, listen, I've had more speeding tickets than, than anybody in this room. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I was arrested once for speeding. So that's, that was pretty bad, you know. So now I'm confessing all my sins. Um, but I've paid every single one of them off. And some, some of them were expensive. When I was a student, I got like a $275 speeding ticket. Um, I was going to visit, Car you know what, never mind. There's <laughs> not, I blame, I'm just kidding. Um, but when you've paid it off, when you've paid it off, then you've paid it off. And even though I've had more speeding tickets than you, it doesn't matter, because they're all closed. And more parking tickets. But did you know I got two parking tickets in the same spot in like the same week? Like, it was just, like, this is, Lord, this is really sad. I should just go get, I should just park in a garage at this point, you know. Um, but when it's closed, it's closed. And that's the joy that is available to, to believers that are willing to embrace the law and the mercy of God. Psalm 119, I think it's verse 18, says, Lord, show me, show me, open my eyes to see the wonders of your law. O open my eyes to see how wonderful it is that you have a law for us. And the reason is because the law is what sets you free when you understand. In combination with the blood of Jesus, the law with the blood of Jesus, the knowledge of the law and, the, and, the, and the, um, uh, your faith and your humility under your coverage by the blood of Jesus, those two things together in the Christian life will set you free in a way that actually it, 
the law itself obviously doesn't set you free at all. And, and the blood of Jesus without the law, it, it, it doesn't deal with, it, it, it doesn't actually, if you've experienced, you, you understand, you can self-condemnation, you know. Um, but the two of them together, if you, if you, if you marry them together, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to be truly free. And, and I would I'd very much want that. Um, even people that have wronged me or offended me personally, I have no desire to see them wrapped up in that for the rest of their life. You know, thinking for the rest of their life that they have to pay off, you know, some offense that happened 10 years ago. That, that's crazy. I don't want that. The same way God does not want that. So if that exists in you, get free today. Let the Lord show you how. If there's something that you're supposed to make right, if there's an offering that you're supposed to offer him, uh, if there's whatever it is, let him convict you and then walk it out. And, and don't let that thing come to mind again. And do not let the devil harass you about the things that you've already paid a price for. You know? I'm going to stand up. Sydney, if you could come with your crew. The crew. Father, we pray for the freedom of your people. We pray, Lord, that we would walk into the fullness of the salvation that you've provided for us, the fullness of your promises, the fullness of your goodness. Father, if you have not only um, set us free from damnation to hell, but you've also set us free in this life from our guilt and condemnation and regrets, Father, would that manifest itself in truth and in reality in our lives, in our hearts? Father, I pray that we would be people truly alive, um, not feeling like there is anything in our life that is unresolved, any offense not paid for, any person that we cannot see, any place where we cannot be. But I pray, Lord, that you would bring it to our understanding and that you would give us the courage to make it right, whatever it is. Please, Lord, do not let us be a self-justifying people do not let us be a people that mock the beauty of the guilt offering that you've created as an escape hatch for us from death in our hearts and our minds. Help us to understand how beautiful it is that by paying a price, a finite price, that we can afford to pay, that we can get right with you, with the people that we've wronged. Lord, I am sure that in the days to come that I and probably everybody else will continue to wrong others in this church, in our families, in our friendships, at work, in other places. And I, my prayer, Lord, is that you would just keep us tender, that you would keep us humble, that you would keep us sensitive, that you would allow us, God, to be convicted that you allow us, God, um, that to care about the freedom of righteousness, and that you allow us, God, to walk these things out quickly, that if we ever offend anyone, God, that before the sun sets, that it would be upon our hearts to go and to make it right, that if we say something or if we do something, God, that we would not be a defensive people, that we would not be a people trying to protect our own ego or our own reputation, but, Father, I pray that, that we would be so... Um, loving of acceptance, so loving of freedom uh, that we would pay whatever the right price is to purchase that in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I, I pray Lord, that you build this church on firm foundations, 
the same foundations, God, of righteousness and justice upon which your throne rests. In Jesus' name, amen.